Welcome to Imaginately Podcast, where we share stories both old and new to transport and inspire you. I'm your host, R.K. Smith, and this season we're back with Princess Irene and Curdie in part two of George MacDonald's beloved series, The Princess and Curdie. So settle in and get cozy as your imagination takes flight. Chapter 31, The Sacrifice. Let's begin. Things in the palace were in a strange condition. The king, playing with a child and dreaming wise dreams, waited upon by a little princess with the heart of a queen, and a youth from the mines who went nowhere, not even into the king's chamber, without his mattock on his shoulder and a horrible animal at his heels. In a room nearby, the colonel of his guard, also in bed, without a soldier to obey him. In six other rooms, far apart, six miscreants, each watched by a beast jailer. Ministers to them all, an old woman and a page. And in the wine cellar, 43 animals, creatures more grotesque than ever brain of man invented. None dared approach its gates, and seldom one issued from them. All the dwellers in the city were united in enmity to the palace. It swarmed with evil spirits, they said, whereas the evil spirits were in the city, unsuspected. One consequence of their presence was that, when the rumor came that a great army was on the march against Gwenestorm, instead of rushing to their defenses to make new gates, free portcullises, and drawbridges, and bar the river, each band flew first to their treasures, burying them in their cellars and gardens and hiding them behind stones in their chimneys, and next to rebellion, signing an invitation to his majesty of Borsagras to enter at their open gates, destroy their king, and annex their country to his own. The straits of isolation were soon found in the palace. Its invalids were requiring stronger food, and what was to be done? For if the butchers sent meat to the palace, was it not likely enough to be poisoned? Curdie said to Durba he would think of some plan before morning. But that same night, as soon as it was dark, Lena came to her master and let him understand she wanted to go out. He unlocked a little private postern for her, left it so that she could push it open when she returned, and told the crocodile to stretch himself across the inside. Before midnight, she came back with a young deer. Early the next morning, the leg serpent crept out of the wine cellar, threw the broken door behind, shot into the river, and soon appeared in the kitchen with a splendid sturgeon. Every night Lena went out hunting, and every morning Leg Serpent went out fishing. And both invalids and the household had plenty to eat. As to news, the page in plain clothes would now and then venture out into the marketplace and gather some. One night he came back with the report that the army of the king of Borsagras had crossed the border. Two days after, he brought the news that the enemy was now but twenty miles from Gwentestorm. The colonel of the guard rose and began furbishing his armor, but gave it over to the page and staggered across to the barracks, which were in the next street. The sentry took him for a ghost, or worse, ran into the guard room, bolted the door, and stopped his ears. The poor colonel, who was yet hardly able to stand, crawled back despairing. For Curdie, 
He had already, as soon as the first rumor reached him, resolved, if no other instructions came and the king continued unable to give orders, to call Lena and the creatures and march to meet the enemy. If he died, he died for the right, and there was a right end of it. He had no preparations to make except a good sleep. He asked the king to let the housemaid take his place by his majesty that night and went to lay down on the floor of the corridor, no farther off than a whisper would reach from the door of the chamber. There, with an old mantle of the king's thrown over him, he was soon fast asleep. Somewhere about the middle of the night, he woke suddenly, started to his feet, and rubbed his eyes. He could not tell what had waked him. But could he be awake, or was he not dreaming? The curtain of the king's door, a dull red ever before, was glowing a gorgeous, radiant purple, and the crown wrought upon it in silks and gems was flashing as if it burned. What could it mean? Was the king's chamber on fire? He darted to the door and lifted the curtain. Glorious, terrible sight. A long and broad marble table that stood at one end of the room had been drawn into the middle of it, and thereon burned a great fire of a sort that Curdie knew, a fire of glowing, flaming roses, red and white. In the midst of the roses lay the king, moaning but motionless. Every rose that fell from the table to the floor, someone whom Curdie could not plainly see for the brightness, lifted and laid burning upon the king's face, until at length his face too was covered with the live roses, and he lay all within the fire, moaning still, with now and then a shuddering sob. And the shape that Curdie saw and could not see wept over the king as he lay in the fire, and often she hid her face in handfuls of her shadowy hair, and from her hair the water of her weeping dropped like sunset rain in the light of the roses. At last she lifted a great armful of her hair and shook it over the fire, and the drops fell from it in showers, and they did not hiss in the flames, but there arose instead, as it were the sound of running brooks. And the glow of the red fire died away, and the glow of the white fire grew gray, and the light was gone, and on the table was all black, except the face of the king, which shone from under the burnt roses like a diamond in the ashes of a furnace. Then Curdie, no longer dazzled, saw and knew the old princess. The room was lighted with the splendor of her face, of her blue eyes, of her sapphire crown. Her golden hair went streaming out from her through the air till it went off in mist and light. She was large and strong as a titaness. She stooped over the table altar, put her mighty arms under the living sacrifice, lifted the king as if he were but a little child to her bosom, walked with him up the floor and laid him in his bed. Then darkness fell. The minor boy turned silent away and laid himself down again in the corridor. An absolute joy filled his heart, his bosom, his head, his whole body. All was safe. All was well. With the health of his mattock tight in his grasp, he sank into a dreamless sleep. Thank you for joining me today. I'm so glad we were able to imagine this story together. 
If you liked what you heard, be sure to subscribe so you don't miss out on anything from Imaginately Podcast. And be sure to tell your friends so they can imagine with us too. Until next time, happy dreams, whether by day or night. Hey friend, R.K. Smith here, Canadian author, editor, and storyteller. If you have a story idea you'd like to see on this podcast, go to rksmith.ca and send me a message. I'd love to hear from you and want to share the stories you want to hear with the world.